How's it going, everyone? It's time for another edition, a special Friday edition of Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff, presented to you by adfreeshows.com, the podcast heat network, and Impera.com. Impera, one of our favorite partners you're going to hear about in just a little bit here on Strictly Business. I am not alone, of course. I am joined, as I am every single week, by the man of the hour, Mr. Eric Bischoff. Eric, how are you, my friend? Rumor has it we've got a very special guest today on Strictly Business. Indeed, we do, and I'm so excited about this. Darren Ravel has been covering the business of sports, much like we cover the business of the wrestling business here on Strictly Business. But Darren's been covering the business of sports for a combined 18 years for both ESPN, for 12 of that, and CNBC as well. The man knows the business of sports. He's also an avid wrestling memorabilia collector, and an entrepreneur, and I can't wait, because given the headlines recently about WWE breaking into legalized gambling, um, it's going to be a fascinating conversation, because I don't think anybody knows more about that world than our guest, Darren Ravel. Darren, there he is. How are you, man? Hey, Eric. How are you? I am doing really well. And like John, I want to thank you for joining us. I know it was relatively short notice, but... Really excited to have you here. We love breaking down the business of the wrestling business, and it sounds like your world, gambling, or at least a part of it, and our world, which is the business of the wrestling business, have kind of uh, met in the middle here. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, I left ESPN in 2018 and went to the Action Network, where we're pretty much covering everything about the business of gambling and you know, allowing people to make their picks based on data instead of their head. A lot of what I've been doing has been covering all these states. And as the country has, you know, now today we have Massachusetts, where uh, it's funny we're talking today because today is the first time in the history of our nation where 51% of our population can legally bet uh, based on Massachusetts now being legal. But I've been covering kind of the states, how the states react, the gaming commissions. Um, and so it's it's always been interesting to see what they will allow, what they will not allow. Um, and uh, obviously seeing the wrestling headline, uh, even though it, be, it is scripted from CNBC, uh, that caught a lot of people in a tizzy this week. <laughs> a tizzy is definitely the word uh darren referring to of course for those who may not have heard a cnbc and alex sherman were the first to report this week that wwe was in talks with state gambling regulators to legalize betting uh specifically i believe is in michigan and indiana if i'm not mistaken and uh this they, is... they said michigan and colorado but colorado both... thank you my well, apologies but, but but both those commissions quickly said uh, while there might have been a consultant involved here to talk about the possibilities, no one is actually, I mean, if you want a new sport to be entered in, so to speak, you need to have uh, uh, them actually petition. And, and they confirmed that there was not any p- petition made. Now, the WWE, for their part, hasn't said really anything, which means that, you know, I could totally see the fact that they're interested in, in this possibility uh, you know, gambling, legal gambling makes the world go round. It's why, uh, even though the NFL didn't admit it for so long, uh, people are watching a meaningless game on Sunday night or Monday night because because it matters to their pocket. And, um, you know, so with gambling being associated and being connected with interest, 
uh, obviously this could be something. And then after the report came out, uh, I was able to talk to enough people to figure out that the WWE was actively pitching to gambling organizations to get involved with the sponsorship potentially and figure out whether this could be done. Darren, I, I put my toe in the water in legalized gambling about oh, eight or 10 years ago, but internationally, um, we were aggregating IP, David Hasselhoff, for example, and we would skin digital slot machines that were distributed in the UK primarily through William Hill. And we got well into that. We partnered up with some big companies like William Hill, one of the biggest, I think, in, in the UK, and soon found out that the regulations, the regulatory issues were our biggest hurdle because they changed constantly. If WWE were to proceed, how complex would it be if they wanted to do something nationally to work with all the different states? Because I would imagine each one of them has its own nuanced regulations. Okay, so let's go back to what it would actually take. Um, the WWE, in their back talks had basically made this akin to the Oscars or the Grammys. For so long, uh, the Oscars and the Grammys were for just party purposes only. Vegas, which would allow uh, uh, plenty of things, would never, Nevada, the gaming control board there, would never allow uh, gambling on the Grammys or the Oscars. Now, why? Well, because even though it's audited by PricewaterhouseCooper or Ernst & Young, there is one person who knows about it. There's at least one. And they don't want that to compromise anything. So that's why, since the beginning of legal time, it has been all about something that is a game of chance that has to be determined on the field of play. So even for a long time, Nevada would not allow the coin flip in the Super Bowl. Presumably because even though there were, <laughs> it was a chance on the flip, there was someone still controlling it. Now they eventually got over that and it's the odds of a heads or a tails. And they've recently come around to the Grammys and the Oscars after feeling good that, you know, it, nothing can be compromised. But there are still things that few people, very few people, are in control of that these gaming control boards do not want to engage in putting up odds because there's people who know. For example, the national anthem in the Super Bowl, the length of the national anthem, the over and under. Okay, so there are people who know. The people who are around the rehearsals Maybe there's five, maybe there's 20. I know, having been at CNBC, having worked with NBC during Super Bowls, I'm standing on that platform, on that stanchion. If And I know when they're rehearsing, I happen to be out there, I could take a stopwatch and figure it out. Um, they haven't allowed, and I think it's really important to just talk about this as a background, they haven't allowed legally the order of the songs that the halftime performer is going to sing. Why? There's a rehearsal and there's people who know. The sponsor of the halftime show gets 100 tickets to watch the rehearsal. That's 100 possibilities for it being compromised. So the only people, the only organizations that are taking bets are often 
the offshore books that don't have the regulations. And when they take the bets, they present them, they, they prevent themselves from being completely compromised by not allowing you to bet that much, which brings us to the WWE. How many people are privy to what is going to happen? Now, I'm very well aware of, and you're more well aware of on the inside what happens. When there there are scripts that are changed until the last minute, there are things that are changed. But for the most part, there's someone or, or many people, the TV partners, the execs, even if it's Vince and a couple people, uh, there's there's a bunch of people, especially in the big events, WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, that definitely know and have to know. And so if you were to care this much about gambling, the process and who knows and how you can prove that only those people know would have to change dramatically. Now you, you know, Nick Khan, in fact, how yeah. you tell the story? How do you know, Nick? I was one of the youngest people ESPN ever hired. And, uh, I was with another agent out of the gates when I was 22 years old and Nick came after me and, uh, he was at ICM at the time and, and said, I want to represent you and I believe in you and I believe in the business of sports. And I think in 2004, I went with him and then he went to CAA and then obviously, you know, did an incredible job and in, uh, negotiations not only <laughs> made me a lot of money, but made a lot of people money. And, uh, you know, just it's, it's so great to see him where he is at the WWE. Do you have any in, in the data that you've compiled going back now to the NFL, shift the gears for just a second. We all kind of know anecdotally that yes, gambling, legalized gambling you know, on sports certainly makes sports a lot more interesting, even for passive viewers, but active gamblers, right? Is there any data that supports, for example, you know, what percentage of people are watching Monday night football, for example, that are really only watching it because of legalized gaming? Is there any any data that points to a suggestion of what percentage that might be? I think it's too early still. You know, you can't really build all the trends over a really like a two-year period of time, three-year period of time. But you can look at the quartiles of the TV ratings and you can see how many people are still watching in a meaningless game. And you can also see, despite what the NFL has said previously, that Nevada, Las Vegas, is in the top five to ten markets. Now, they had always been. This was before the Las Vegas Raiders even came. So clearly, betting is a big part of things. Now, what's interesting about the NFL is that they still tell their announcers before every season, do not overtly talk about lines totals, spreads, whatever. And then it always seems to be funny. And this is something that if you know my Twitter feed, I get very angry at because I don't think it's funny when the broadcasters say, well, that meant something to some of you. Like, enough. You're taking the money from from all the gambling outfits. Start talking about it. I don't need it to be 10 minutes of the game where someone who doesn't bet thinks it's intrusive. But to, to continue to think of it as something that is negative and shouldn't be uttered is really dumb. So the XFL and Dwayne The Rock Johnson has kind of, kind of taken that and said, you know what? 
we're going to bring in Doug, Doug Kazarian of, of ESPN, and, and we're going to talk about the lines as they're happening in the game. The, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is if you think about the WWE and what they can do and what eventually can be done, because there's been some uh, game cast broadcasts by notably NBC Washington and some of these stations where they're showing you the odd splits, they're showing you how the odds, how the spreads are changing live. Very interesting. Now the NFL is doing none of it. Could could the WWE, if you close your eyes and say they were able to get away with this, uh, could could you see a who's going to win based on a live line of what is happening? Can that be more exciting? Instead of who's going to win, you voted on the WWE app. This is where the money is in the moment. And I think over the next couple of years, we are going to see a dramatic shift in how broadcast reports betting data live, and it is going to make it even more exciting. I want to follow up with you on that there, Darren, because that has been the most fascinating thing. I was in sports television for years to see how quickly networks and leagues have embraced and mediated sports betting as part of their broadcast presentation or as part of just openly inviting fans to become of that process even in a four or five year span it went from taboo to embraced Uh, what is your take on that and how quickly these organizations have taken to that and where that leaves us in the next few years well, it's almost comical, right? I mean, <laughs> I was in Vegas when the Las Vegas, uh, when the Vegas Golden Knights uh, became an expansion franchise. And, you know, I remember Gary Bettman, the NHL commissioner, saying, you know, we're not really that pleased that uh, a mile from here or half a mile from here, you can gamble on this game. And we're going to do what we can to ensure that that doesn't happen. Um you know, and this is obviously, you know, before the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act of 1992 was repealed. So it was before May 2018 where things really started to happen. And they were in Nevada where it was legal. Um, and the NFL fought tooth and nail. Like, you know, we don't want this. This will this will compromise our sport, which never makes sense because anyone who knows gambling knows that if there's nefarious things going on, that clearly you can look at uh, the bets being made and things that don't look right. And if it's legal, you're going to be able to tell if it's not legal, you won't. So remember that all these sports leagues opposed uh, New Jersey's fight to allow States to make their own decisions. Um, And, and it's almost, it's embarrassing to see, you know, like Rob Manfred and, and major league baseball, go from this can't happen to, oh, we think this is going to help because baseball is the perfect sport for the speed that we have and the speed people live bet at. So for someone who's covered it from pre-2018 to now, uh, it is the biggest flip ever. But of course, it makes sense in the name of the almighty dollar. And I'm just curious, given your relationship with Nick Khan, given WWE's foray into this world. Has Nick reached out to you? Are you consulting? Did he pick your brain? Anything? No, I I've, I talk to Nick all the time. Uh, as a good reporter, I reached out to him. He didn't respond to me, but I think that was probably strategic. <laughs> uh, um, uh, you know, I, I, I think this is a WWE. I, I am not part of this in any way. Um, I did think when the first report came out that 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Just from what I know, it would be nearly impossible to pull this off. When you think about what I just referenced, where nothing is scripted, right? The national anthem and the time of the national anthem isn't necessarily scripted, but there's a rehearsal and that drives the gaming control boards mad uh, and says, you can't bet on this. To even know that there's a script of something, whether there's one or a hundred people who know, I knowing the gaming control boards and how conservative they are, I don't think that is, uh, you know, a possibility. And then you go to the sports books themselves. So, uh, you know, there was a comment from uh, there. There was a big gaming conference this week. And when this came out, Contessa Brewer of CNBC asked uh, the chief marketing officer of BetMGM whether they would take bets on wrestling. And uh, I think he said NFW, um, which <laughs> most most people know what that stands for. And the reason why his reaction is so uh, negative there is because it's not only the states that are worried about being compromised, it's it's the sports books, right? Like, so if we are going to be offering wrestling, we have to be able to really offer it. We can't say, oh, your limit is $10, because if the WWE wants to do this, they want this to be more than just, hey, we're just doing it and we're dipping our toe in the water. They want you to really be able to bet. And the 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 BetMGM wants to be able to say, we offer this not as a novelty, but we offer this to really bet on it. And so he says NFW because I think the juice is not worth the squeeze here where it's just you could see that it's just too easy to be compromised. Now, what's interesting is they mentioned Colorado and Michigan. Those are states that uh, normally are a little bit more lenient in terms of allowing things that, you know, they are both Oscar states. So they, they are one of probably eight states that allow Oscars betting. Um, and each state has their own. Uh, rules and and has their own commissioners running things and their own boards. So I would say like the state of Massachusetts, which is now legal for online gaming starting today, they would no way in hell ever do this ever, ever, ever knowing everything that they require all the operators to do. Um, and so it's kind of a state by state thing, but I think the WWE would think that it would only be a, a big victory if they could get the majority and it wouldn't be a novelty just by virtue of being in one or two states. Now, given that I don't know anything about gaming or regulations or the gambling control boards, and the, I don't know anything about your world. So some of these questions may seem a little naive, but is there a path that of least re, or less resistance if WWE really had their eye on FanDuel or DraftKings a fantasy site like that is the process to bet easier. 
No, so they have it. They they have the WWE now has a deal with DraftKings, which is basically a free to play deal. The last time I looked at it, it's like, can you guess all seven winners of Raw? Um, and and you can guess those. It's free to play. So one of the ways around uh, are you gambling is for these guys to use free to play where anyone can play, which also means that even if you don't, if you live in a state that doesn't have legalized gambling, you can play free to play games on these apps. Now the, the operators love this because it's not uh, legal in that state, but it gets you to download the app. So when it comes time for it to be legalized, then they have you. Uh, so DraftKings already has a deal, a free to play deal, and you actually don't get money. You get it back in DraftKings bucks or DraftKings dollars, which then converts to money. That is how precarious it is right now, right? So there is a wrestling deal. It's a marketing deal. It's free to play. You can't win actual dollars. And so to go from there to we can actually take bets, it's not DraftKings and FanDuel are, uh, uh, they, they are reliant on the gaming control boards to say, yes, there can't be any side deal to do something where first wrestling has to be approved as a sport that they can take. And so in that way, it's free for everyone to post. But so a marketing deal, as you're asking, doesn't really help if you're going to say, well, let's just do a one-sided deal with these guys and not worry about what the state has to say. Not possible. So let me follow up with this then, Darren. From the perspective of sports gamblers who are ingrained in this every single day with Major League Baseball, the NFL, NHL, NBA, etc., how much of an appeal is there to break into that pro wrestling space? So I know the reaction on Twitter. I mean, you guys are obviously following more wrestling people, but the reaction on Twitter from the gambling people that I follow was, Oh, give me a break here. <laughs> right. Like, like, like no, like no way. But there are, listen, there are, uh, there are people who do not like a sport. And then when they are told about that, you can bet on it, that changes things. Mm-hmm. I do believe, even though I just destroyed him, uh, I do believe that, you know, the game of baseball is relatively slow. They have the pitch clock, which is now helping. And then if you want to do micro betting, which is, not kind of like long-term betting, like who's going to win and who's going to lose, but what's going to happen in this inning. So let me tell you, this is a funny one. I think you guys might laugh at. So <laughs> there is kind of a new bet, which is called Nerfy, uh, which is called no, which is stands for no run first inning. And people and bettors have been so impatient with baseball that they're like, what happens if we bet whether there's going to be a run or not a run in the first inning? That's going to make it really exciting. And this turned into one of the most popular bets over the last year, the no run first inning. So like, and, and, and baseball's emboldened by that. Hey, someone, someone who wasn't watching baseball at all. Well, at least I'm going to watch the first inning. So the idea behind betting and like, okay, I'm not watching wrestling and now I can bet on it. And now I'm going to watch it. Um, the whole, the, what's funny about this is I always said, you know, it's very interesting when, when Dana White and I have had our battles and, you know, we have, um, it's always over that the wrong person won. 
because I'm thinking about it from a business marketing perspective. And I'm thinking about Amanda Nunez and it not being Holly Holm or Ronda Rousey or Chris Cyborg. And Amanda Nunez is not that marketable. And isn't it a shame that she's so good? <laughs> right. And so, and so in a way, and then I also think about from the WWE, from the UFC standpoint, you, you, the, the guy who's controlling it, the referee is a state employee. He's not your employee. Do you realize how crazy that is? That that when you're talking about chokeouts and life and death and all this and like how close they are, that you that person's not an employee, right? So like all these things about the UFC control, not control. And I always think about, man, it would be a lot easier for Dana White if 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 this stuff was scripted. Their business could be so much. But that's also why betting on UFC has been so compelling, right? It, it with one move, someone goes from being a, a minus 300 favorite to a plus 200 dog or, you know, like literally that you could you could be winning the whole way. And this doesn't happen in basketball. When we're watching March Madness right now, a team's up by 20, 30 seconds later, they can't be down by five. That right. that happens in the UFC. So like and I'm I'm always as live betting gets to be. Uh, bigger in this country. So right now, about 70% of betting in Europe is live, which is amazing considering they have soccer and it's like, what's really happening from second to second. But in football, like I bet 80% of my bets are live. And I'm trying to say, okay, in this moment, like, I don't think I'm getting pre-match. I don't think I'm getting, I don't know what the indication of whether these guys are going to come out hot, how they'll match up, how they're different with this personnel. I want to watch it. I want to see. Um, and so it would be interesting. I always said that that track and field, you know, that's a sport, right? You have a 10,000 meter race. They're going around the track like 25 times. They recently canceled doing that in the Diamond League in the pro division because they're like, it's too boring. And I'm like, wait a second. What happens if you throw live betting into that? And and I'm saying the guy at the end eventually going to win. So the idea that betting is going to solve things and drives interest is is certain. But how you would ever figure this out, I just don't know. The only thing I can think of that's crazy enough is, uh, I guess this won't work. But what ha- what happens if there's one fight a night that is, that 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 isn't scripted? <laughs> But I don't know how that would go down. Like, right. I don't know how that would go down, you know? Like, it would be ugly. Right. It would be ugly. Yeah, they tried that once, and it was it, like... It didn't work. <laughs> it, it, it was just ugly, horrible. It's a funny thing about watching wrestling. When it's really, really good, it's because it's an art form. But if you watch two guys really go at it, it's just a cool-looking bar fight. Right, right. You know, without, w- without the uh, technique that you see in the UFC, for the no. most part. Yeah, so if I was a betting man and I am a betting man, I just don't think this could happen. I, I, I don't think under any scenario, even if only Vince knows and it's under lock and key, well, only Vince knows, but the fighters have to know. Okay, so that's three. How many people, let's discuss this. How many people at a minimum have to know? It's got to be the lowest you could get it down to is 20 probably. Yeah, I mean, there's... <laughs> You have to really think that through because wrestling is episodic. You have to know what you're going to do the next night. You have to know what you're going to promote the next night. I mean, it would really require just a massive overhaul in terms of the process. I mean, you could easily, let's say it's John and I in the main event, 
and we lay out, it's the same match, but it's a different finish. And we rehearse the two of us, our match where John wins. And then we rehearse our same match with my finish and I win. So the two wrestlers could conceivably get to the ring. They know what the body of the match is. They know what the story is. They know what the psychology is. The only thing they don't know walking to the ring is the finish. And you could hand them the finish right then and there. Right. And of course the referee would have to know or whoever handed them Right, your Ernst and Young guy in a tuxedo, you know, hands him the envelope. <laughs> yeah, I don't but, know. But what, what I'm saying is that even the envelope has to be handed is printed is 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 kind of the issue, mm-hmm. right? So, like in this year's Super Bowl, um, uh, Molson Coors, which owns you know Miller Lite and Coors Light, was like, okay, let's do a Super Bowl ad where everyone's on this on on the edge of their seat. And we're going to do a free-to-play game, right? We're going to do a game where you are betting on will there be a Coors Light Silver Train bullet train or whatever? Will there? Will it be for Coors Light? Will it be for Miller Light? It's a brilliant idea when all these people have given away their Super Bowl ads and you're like, oh, I already saw this online on YouTube three days ago. So it's a brilliant idea. But when it came time to say, oh, and then they said, even our CMO doesn't know. Because we've done five ads of this way and five ads of this way, right? The same thing you just told me. And still, there we go. And still, it had to be free to play. So it couldn't technically be a bet, right? And, uh, you know, no gaming control board would even say, yes, you can do this where you can bet on this. Because one person has to know whether it's the guy pushing the button or whatever. Right. that's what makes it so crazy that you guys just told me, Eric, you just told me, okay, doesn't matter. Like we'll know at the very end, it could even be a hand signal. It could not even, someone in the audience could, could, could go up or, you know, could go up or down for either one of you. And that's the hand signal. And it might not even be live betting, right? Like there's no live betting. It's already pre-match. So everyone put their bets in, but someone knew before the idea that someone knew before the match that someone was going to win, someone was going to lose, and that was predetermined. I think for a hundred percent of the state gaming control boards, that's enough to say no. Yeah, very interesting. And there's no way around it because you know, I've never thought about this before, but no matter what kind of mechanism or design you come up with to keep everything confidential, somebody has to actually print the envelope, you know, somebody has to seal it and hand it. So there's just and then you've got the added confusion of going forward because wrestling is episodic and it's story driven. You kind of have to know what you're doing for the next couple of weeks or months, ideally, but it would be kind of hard to plan all that. You'd have to book two different storylines. I mean, I was surprised. I was surprised when a bunch of gaming control boards took on the Oscars. And that's something that is certified by accounting firms. And they, and they even tell you how many people look at this and how many people this and that. Now, the way they got around it was you can't really bet $25,000 on, on, on a particular uh, actor to win. So it's still in that way, it's still a novelty. They allow it, but it's still a novelty. If the WWE were to do this, they would want it to be real because – 
then it would really have a material impact on the business. They could sell a sponsorship for more bucks if the handle and the money coming into the sports books was more. Um, so that that also is the issue that let's say one one state does take it, the max bet is going to be like two hundred fifty dollars, which means it's not real. I also think about the art form of it where the art form becomes compromised in a way because this is so as eric said episodic where you box yourself in and eric and i have spent so many weeks the past couple months here talking about listening to the crowd and how the crowd response often dictates where you take a story in pro wrestling if you are locking things in like hypothetically you're locking in a royal rumble winner to go all the way through wrestlemania you you then lose that ability to hey, how's the crowd reacting to this? And how can we adapt on the fly? That is totally gone. Uh, Do people inside the industry put any thought into elements like that when determining whether something like this would be feasible? Well, I was shocked when I really started learning about wrestling. I was shocked at how much was done on the fly. I I never knew. Like, I thought it was more well-predetermined. But then I've talked to people, you know, on the inside and I can't, I can't believe how many changes are made the night of, or the minute of, or, you know, those changes are, are there because something happens or they think about the crowd or they think about something else. And so the question for me becomes, uh, let's just play this out. Would a, would a state like for it to be completely decided ahead of time or, would they like for it to be determined by someone on the fly? See, to me, neither works, right? Because that person is still determining it and that person could then change something based on, you know, him saying to someone else, oh, don't, you know, yes, we, and what would the, what would the, would the gaming control board say, yes, this is scripted? Guess what? We must see your script. Mm. And then you've got, and this has got nothing to do with the gaming side of it, the legal side of it, but this from a management side of it. Now you've got two top talents. You got a Roman Reigns and a Cody Rhodes go to the WrestleMania, presumably. Neither one of them know the finish. They get to the ring, they find out the finish. Or somewhere during before during the match, they find out the finish. You have no idea how many hours are spent when you get to that level with a Roman Reigns level. I'm saying not saying it's Roman. I've never dealt with Roman, but generally when you get to talent that are at that level, finishes and outcomes and where the story is going is often a long protracted negotiation course of weeks discussion. It it's it's that that's the other side of it. Just how manageable is this from an internal process? Things yeah. that would have to change, you know, start to set my hair on fire. And Eric, on top of that, who's to say the two performers wouldn't go in there in the ring and change the finish on the fly on their own merit? Obviously, there'd be consequences to that. But what if one of them was in on a bet? Yeah, right. they, we, you know, <laughs> that, that's interesting because we just we came off the football season. And in week 17, uh, the Action Network prints out a list of guys who have incentives for either catches or more yards or whatever. So as, you know, so as to say, hey, we, we should let you know that this guy makes a million dollars if he has more than one sack. So or or we should let you know, especially with a running back or a wide receiver, like, you know, maybe when they go into the huddle, this guy's going to call his own number and tell the what tell the quarterback, well, I'll split it with you. 
you know, so so that that on the fly, actually, especially in the last week of the NFL season, knowing the incentives that these guys have actually plays into gambling. Wow. Well, Darren, I, I, I can't thank you enough. I think we've covered the potential for WWE to break into wrestling. I'm not going to put any of my own money on that after talking to you. But before we let you go, I have to ask you this question. I asked you before about Nick Khan and whether or not he reached out to you. Do you think that perhaps it wasn't a strategic issue with regard to him answering your call, that perhaps it was because at one point in time you were a suspect in the assassination of Mr. McMahon? I was. This is this is a this is actually a great story. So I can't remember the year, but it was probably 2008-9. I'd have to look it up. But um, uh, if you look at when I was at CNBC, if you look at the at the time, certainly the the WWE prospectus for an investor, it says the number one material risk of uh, being an investor and what could follow is if Vince McMahon is no longer with the WWE. Um, and so at that time, that was when Mr. McMahon's limo was blown up and they were talking about whether he had lived or died. And I, I swear I wasn't trying to be an a-hole here, but from a from a, the standpoint of someone covering the business of sports, you know, there might have been people who did not understand the distinction between Mr. McMahon and Vince McMahon, the character and the executive. And so I just decided I was going to make a deal of it and said, listen, I think the SEC should ask the the WWE if they think that this is appropriate. And uh, they came back to me and um, they said, we have a, we have a, a statement. Um, and I actually went by the news desk at CNBC. I said, WWE is going to be providing a statement on this, thinking that it was going to be about the SEC and they should stop. They'll stop doing this or say Mr. McMahon and Vince McMahon are two different people or, you know, whatever it is. And of course, in in classic Vince and WWE style, they said we are looking into uh, murder suspects. Uh, we don't know if he's dead or not, but <laughs> the. And the number one suspect is CNBC sports business reporter, Darren Ravel. They actually issued the release, WWE logo, everything. And, uh, and I read it and I was like, this is, this is, this is so good. This is so good that, that they twisted it like that. And of course they all moved on. And then we've recently had uh, the, the stock is flying and, and Vince was gone for a while. Now he's completely back. And now uh, we, of course, have the storylines of the potential sale on the way. Well, for what it's worth, uh, Darren, I know, I know it. Pop, it that did not have that. That did not happen, pretty much. Like, right? Well, well. So I was just gonna say, real, real quick on on your point, Donald Trump. This is a true story. Donald Trump called the day after Raw aired. He called the McMahon family to make sure that Vince wasn't actually dead. That's not you know, true. It is, is a one hundred percent true oh story. God. Oh, good. Yep. So I think there was some merit to you actually putting that out there in the first place. There could have there there could have been uh, confusion. Oh, I do I do have the ticket from the uh, from the WrestleMania where uh, where the hair got cut with the Trump uh, the Trump McMahon hair. Well, you've got a bunch. You get a bunch of memorabilia. Tell us a little bit about well, what so you I, like. I, to well, I do listen. I do believe in th- old, old things that were you know not supposed to be opened. 
uh, or that were supposed to be opened that are not opened. Um, so I have I have about 25 LJN rubber wrestlers from 1985 to 1987, which I've recently bought that are sealed. So these things, you know, the Hogan, um, the one that looks like him like this, um, you know, he uh, uh, that that wrapping on that seal was supposed to last for four to six weeks. And the fact that I'm uh, I'm on year 37, I feel good about it. Um, but I think these are real legit investments, you know. Um, so so I have a Superfly Snuka signed by him, um, a, you know, uh, the, the actual sealed toy. And then I do collect tickets. So I have a, a full ticket from WrestleMania 1, obviously WrestleMania 3, which to me was, for me, you know, the biggest. I have one ticket signed by McMahon, one ticket signed by uh, Hogan. Um, and then I do have that rest, the, the Trump uh, McMahon WrestleMania too. Yeah, big big ticket collector. Tickets are uh, tickets are things that have natural scarcity because you never know where to put them. Right, unlike cards, you know these things went on bulletin boards and and maybe in scrapbooks, but for the most part, a lot of us threw them out. And so, certainly in the last five years, as PSA, which grades cards, has started to grade tickets, I've. I've invested heavily into it. it. And unlike cards, it relates to the moment. You see the ticket from WrestleMania 3. I mean, it's so hokey. It's, you know, Pontiac Silver, Pontiac Silverdome. And if you look at the ticket, the, the, the L, it said the word live is in there. And the L is actually upside down and backwards on all the tickets. And it's like, <laughs> that's so 1985. Like, you can't make that up. You know, like, no one noticed. And they printed 60,000 of them, you know? Wow. That's awesome. And I mentioned when we introduced you, you're also an entrepreneur. You're in the beverage business. Tell us about that. Yeah, I got a uh I got a canned cocktail called Kickstand Cocktails. It's the only cocktail whose chief differentiator is spice. Listen, I I love I love the business. It's amazing uh to to participate in the sport of business and to be in the canned cocktail space right now is certified you have to be certifiably crazy. Um, but it's uh, to try to figure out what the real game is and, and how to win is, is, uh, is great fun. So that's, uh, that's one of the things we're doing. You pick tough careers. I, you know, I, again, I put my toe in the water in the beer business with the idea in mind that I was going to distribute a branded beer nationally. And I found out after I spent a boatload of money that every state has its own liquor laws. Yep, And in some states, like the one I live in, in, in Wyoming, each county has versions of the state's liquor laws. So distributing liquor is, yeah, I mean, the challenging. One, one, of the, one of the keys for me that I've learned is you have to go into states, try to go into states where uh, you can get into supermarkets. Because when people go into a liquor store, they usually make a beeline for the two or three items they want. When people go in a supermarket, they, yes, some people go with a shopping list, but for the most part, people have a very open mind about what they want. And so you're actually going into places where you have a better chance, certainly as an upstart, if you can get into states with supermarkets. And these are the kind of things that you need to learn. Um, you know, in Ohio, 20% of liquor stores are owned by Indians who don't drink. And so you come in and you say, hey, I invented this great canned cocktail. Try it. I can't. I don't drink. And I'm like, okay, well, who runs the inventory in this store? I do. <laughs> what? 
Wait, and and the first time I heard this, I was like, I have to leave this. I have to walk out the door because I am going to be really enraged. And I said it to myself so I didn't have to say it to the guy. I'm like, wait a second. This guy every day wakes up and goes into a store, and he and he and he and he looks over things, none of which he knows about every single day. <laughs> and, then, and then what happens if I sell you into this store? Wow, you like my branding. You think it's a good idea. I sell you into the store. Customer comes in. What does that taste like? I don't know. <laughs> so like, so like, it's 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 a it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy game. And some of the big boys, I do believe they make bad product just to make bad product and to fill up the shelves and the floors just so that you can't get into it. Shelf space is everything. It's yep. it's everything. Well, Darren, I can't thank you enough, man. It's you've you've classed up our act here, by the way, bro. You've you've leveled us up so much that uh, I'm really excited about it. But again, thank you so much, man. You made time for us, and and we both really appreciate it. Well, I I appreciate the WWE and CNBC for uh, allowing me to talk about something that I never really thought I'd seriously talk about. So, <laughs> especially as a murder suspect. <laughs> really, uh, really impressive. Uh, guys, Thanks, Darren. Darren's Thanks. one of the best. Thank you, Darren. Really appreciate your time. Uh, Eric and I, I have a couple more things that we want to get to here on Strictly Business uh, before we wrap up. But uh, yeah, man, I, I thought that that was such a, a great conversation, Eric. Uh, it's such a, a fascinating world for both you and I that it, it almost just... It feels foreign, doesn't it? It feel it doesn't feel foreign to me, but it's so complicated. Yeah. It's so complicated. I mean, just you know, listening to Darren talk about the actual the legal side and the process, the, getting the gaming commissions on board or gaming control boards on board. Then you got to get the sports book comfortable. And every state having its own view of the world when it comes to what's legal and what's not legal. It just seems like a massive massive challenge to me now would it be a great thing if eventually and maybe that's one of the things maybe they're just putting their toe in the water and are going to try to roll this process out at a very limited basis and grow as the gaming control boards get more comfortable and like they did with the oscars uh, or academy awards whatever kind of open it up even though they were close to it i don't know but it seems like a real uphill battle to me it is so complicated, and what I've learned, Eric Bischoff, that sometimes in the business world, things can get complicated, and you just need structure. You need a little bit of organization, and thankfully here at Strictly Business, our pals over at Impera want to help you get in a manageable state with your management. Head on over to Impira.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-A-A.com slash Eric. And use that code WrestleBiz for 14 days free and 20% off your subscription to uh, what has, quite frankly, Eric, become one of our favorite partners here on Strictly Business. It has. And, you know, I've been playing with the um, platform um, on our dashboard and, I think you and I and Steve and probably one or two other people will be jumping on and taking a look at that in the next week or so. But it, it, the way it's set up and it, it, the, the platform will walk you through the different pillars of your business. And it forced me to think about things that I hadn't otherwise thought about in, in terms of measuring activity. For example, we know that the more clips that are out there on social media, on YouTube, whatever, um, 
that's our advertising. That's our promotion. But as of right now, everybody's just working hard and Denovius is working and Steve's working. Denovius is helping Steve and, and we're promoting, we get these clips out, but there's no methodology at this point. There's no set goal and there's no way to measure said goal because said goal doesn't exist. So those are the types of things that this platform, which is such an easy platform to navigate and such an easy tool to use as a result, forces you to think through aspects of your business that you might have overlooked so that you're maximizing your opportunity. And I I think Impera does such a great job in making it easy for the average person like me who doesn't spend a lot of time, you know, on, on, on a computer, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And not only that, Impera gives you a free onboarding opportunity. So you've got a live human being on the other end that walks you through and helps you understand how best to use this tool for your business. So whether you're a business of one, two, three, five, 10, 20, or 200, this platform is an excellent opportunity to execute your business. And as, as a business owner and operator, it allows you, as they say at Imperit, to focus on your business and growing your business, as opposed to focusing in your business because you're doing things that you don't necessarily have to be doing. Dude, I felt like we were in the Impera for Dummies course, and it was so easy to pick up and understand how the dashboard worked because they literally walked us through it piece by piece. We're talking, they show you how to set a vision statement, how to set your core values, and then you assign pillars for the foundation of your plan. You can assign team members all in one very easily accessible backend dashboard that, as Eric said, it keeps you out of the weeds and holds everyone accountable for doing their jobs. If you're trying to come up with a plan, Impera wants to help you implement it in a very easy way. We're talking 14 days free, 20% off your subscription by heading over to Impera.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-A-A.com forward slash Eric and using code WrestleBiz, W-R-E-S-T-L-E-B-I-Z. And plus, Eric, this is a platform that is run by wrestling fans. Absolutely. Wrestling fans. Absolutely. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. Absolutely. 100%. Eric, I want to talk a little bit more real quick about AEW since they just came off their big pay-per-view. They had their press scrum this past week. Have you had a chance to see anything coming out of the pay-per-view? Uh, no, I haven't. I, I haven't. I've just, uh, I've been a little busy, but there's just nothing of interest there. And it's just nothing that kind of calls out to me and says, you should really check it out. Well, there was one very interesting thing that I was listening to the press conference about. And Tony Khan mentioned that there was only so many hours of AW television. He was asked about getting roster members on TV. And he said, quote, I think three hours of television right now, people can count on the best lineups we're putting out on TV. But I think we absolutely have the capacity to do more and to do more TV if that opportunity presented itself. And I think there is demand for it. And when I heard him say that unprompted, my ears perked up a little bit and I started going through the wrangling and stuff. And I noticed that about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago now, AEW trademarked something called AEW Collision. And uh, it was for potentially to be used as uh, extended programming, uh, another wrestling programming show. 
So I'm putting the pieces together in my head. I'm saying, oh, huh. Maybe there could be a third television show in the works here. And then that has kind of picked up some steam on the internet. I saw Andrew Zarian from the Wrestling Observer hinting at it. Uh, there's been a lot of chatter, Eric. A, a third hour of, or it'd be a fourth hour, I guess, of AW television. I mean, what, what's your initial take on that? Should something like that come to pass? I I, I can't imagine them doing it. John, early on in AEW, I was asked, should AEW have a second show? And my response was, eventually, yes. But build a strong base first. Grow your business first before you think about adding programming. And, of course, they added Rampage. We've seen the results. Now, it's a Friday night, so that's cut. It's a tough night, and I, I, you have to acknowledge that. But just looking at their core program, their core program is not strong. Why would you focus on expanding your business when the very foundation of it is wobbly? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Now, if there's a big revenue opportunity at the other end of it, I guess we're all, everybody's in this business to make money and to grow. But if there's not, you know, a, a check at the end of every episode waiting for you somewhere, man, I would really focus on the core business. I know that sounds boring and, and stale, but if your core business is strong, it provides great growth opportunity. If your core business is shaky Everything you add on top of that shaky foundation makes that foundation even shakier. I just wouldn't do it. It struck my interest because I, I heard that specific line that he felt that there was an appetite for more programming here. Maybe and, on the internet. Well, well, and I'm curious, though, maybe, maybe from the internet, maybe there's an appetite from Warner Brothers Discovery. Maybe they still see this as a brand that they want to build around. We know the all-access show is coming here. Uh, Power Slap, by the way, in its final week, did its lowest ratings to date. So I'm curious to see if we ever see that back on that platform. But maybe there is value in Warner Brothers Discovery seeing uh, this company build their library on their platform. And uh, you know, one thing we haven't really talked about is that, as Tony alluded to as well on the media call last week, that Turner has a one-year option on AEW programming, Warner Bros. Discovery, I should say, where they could extend it for another year, presumably for an increased cost or at least the same cost. It just got my wheels turning, Eric, and, and thinking that maybe this is a sign that there's a long-term investment and a long-term play here with AEW should there actually be an appetite here. I, I, I'm not buying it. I'm just not buying it. I can't see it. And and I could, you know, look, I admit I could be wrong. I'm not in that world anymore. I don't talk to anybody at Warner Brothers Discovery. I, I don't I don't have any insight as to what they may be thinking or doing. But just on the surface, you know, AEW year over year has lost like 12% in total viewers and about 25, 28% against 18 to 49 in the past 12 months. That's not good. It's not good at all. Um, I don't see how adding more content and further diluting your core product is 
anybody looking at, I, I just can't imagine how anybody's looking at that as a good opportunity. If there's additional program, by the way, before I babble on any further, did the reality show, the new reality show premiere recently? Not yet. Week? It's premiering soon. Not yet. Okay. When, when is it premiere? I believe it premieres next week. I, I can, uh, let's see, AW All Access premiere date. I think it's next week. Uh, sorry, it's March 29th. It's the premiere. Okay. All right. Well, that, you know, that, but that's a different type of a product. And that, that doesn't dilute the core product. That conceivably, if it's done well, could enhance the core product. How does a Ring of Honor show or a new freshly titled AEW show by the same people who are doing Dynamite and Rampage creatively, how, how is that going to help the core product? Isn't it going to dilute it? Are, is the viewer at some point going to say, well, I don't really have to watch Wednesday night because I can pick up my AEW fix on Thursday night? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. One of the things that comes to mind for me too, Eric, is what day of the week would this go on? The the week is so saturated with wrestling content. The the only day that really pops up in my head would be a weekend. And you know, maybe if they want to do something on a and then you're Saturday. up against sport you're up against sports and ugh. I mean they, they have they have experimented with doing some Saturday events on Turner and you know, give or take they've drawn about 400,000, 500,000 for those. But as you said, especially depending on the season, uh, you could be going against some pretty substantial uh, competition from a multitude of different leagues. But, you know, we're getting in the weeds at that point. And our friends over at Manscaped, Eric, they want to help you stay out of the weeds. No, they want to help you whack your weeds. <laughs> they actually have a weed whacker over at Manscaped. Yes, they do. And it's the brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 that if you head on over to manscaped.com and use our code WrestleBiz, you're going to get 20% off on plus free shipping. Uh, now, John, is- John, can I interrupt you there? Please, by all means. Because I got my Weed Whacker 2.0 in the mail three days ago. Now, I had the original Weed Whacker, and it was a handy tool. Because, you know, when you've got silver hair like I do, it's almost white now, actually. It used to be silver. It used to be platinum. Now it's just white. But when your nose hair is white, you can see that shit from across the room. <laughs> right? So if somebody's shorter than you, like I'm 5'10", a little over 5'10". So if I walk up and meet somebody that's like 5'7", and they're looking up at me, what do you think they see? Yeah. It looks like some kind of aboriginal warrior, you know, just, yeah. And that, the original Weed Whacker did a fine job, but version 2.0, I hit that switch and I went, whoa, this is power. And I just whacked those weeds in no time. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't have to worry about meeting someone shorter than me any longer. I have no doubt you were whacking those weeds all day long because the Weed Whacker 2.0 has improved blade and skin safe technology with a no tugging guarantee. You're digging around up there, digging for gold. Well, you don't got to worry about being tugged on the way down. It's never been so painless to mine your manholes. That's what Manscaped tells us. And this is all part of Manscaped's new initiative they want to you know you, you know what they're good for down there but they're all in on the beard hedger pro kit because they recognize that you know, men out there they want to keep that 
either clean shave look or maybe they just want to look groomed. I mean, rumor had it, Eric, this past week, uh, Vince McMahon was at Monday Night Raw sporing uh, a Gomez Adams mustache. And I'm, and I'm sure right. he did it with Manscaped. I'm I sure Vince McMahon did. uses Manscaped. No doubt about that because because he, you know, Vince McMahon spends a lot of money on grooming. Like <laughs> yes, he used he to go to the I don't know if it was once a week or once a month, whatever, but he had a barber that he'd go to and he gets his manicures and his pedicures. I mean, he's he cares about grooming, and I can't imagine that Vince McMahon is not a Manscaped fan. No, and he recognized that the beard hedger. Uh, comes with a waterproof cordless trimmer with a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard. So you're, you're not fuddling around with all the different guards. It's all in one. And we want to hook you up just like how Manscaped hooked Vince McMahon up. Head on over to Manscaped.com. Use that promo code WrestleBiz, W-R-E-S-T-L-E-B-I-Z to get 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use that promo code WrestleBiz. Manscaped, always the right tools for the job with Manscaped. We really appreciate them sponsoring uh, not just 83 Weeks, but Strictly Business here as well on the ad-free shows and podcast heat networks. Man, could you, you, know, we got somebody, you know, we got somebody watching us. Muhammad's watching us in Saudi Arabia right now. Is oh, cool or what? How about that? We're going international. We're going international as well. I don't think we're at risk of being sold over there but i think we're we're gonna be on top of that hey uh, but if anybody over there is looking to buy a podcast <laughs> you should, i'm just saying con conrad uh we, we've got his number we could put him in on the deals actually there was a cnbc report that came out today that wwe officials are going to be meeting with potential buyers for the company next month in preparation for first round bids so this this is a process that's finally starting to get moving here eric it appears that way, doesn't it? It appears that way. And I also read somewhere this morning, and I've been really busy this morning, so I haven't had time to sit down and focus on too much. But I think I read somewhere where Endeavor is still in the conversation. Again, with Endeavor, I think, especially as we covered last week, a lot of it would be finding that partner to maybe get in on it with them. And uh, there's just so many moving pieces with all of this. And I still... I don't know, man. I, I know it's something we're going to revisit week in and week out, but I still feel like at the end of the day that there's just not a move that's made and that things are the status quo and stay as such. It was very fascinating that Vince was at Raw this week, in my opinion. They said it was just to visit John Cena, but he hung around in Gorilla the entire night. So what? Why is that so weird? It just perked my spidey senses that, you know, I think this guy wants to stick around and I don't think he's going to put himself in a position where uh, he wouldn't be around. So whether that's a sale where he stays in power or they just hold as is just, I don't know, man, it just, again, perk the spidey senses. Yeah, no, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just, I, I just think, you know, him showing up in Boston, I don't, I just don't think it was a big deal. I think people are making more, I agree with you. I, and that's why I've said from the get-go, I think he's going to take the company private. And and I would imagine he will have you know an active part in, in WWE should it be taken private. That's my personal opinion. Um, but I you know, I don't that, him showing up in Boston has nothing to do with it. You know, it, like it's the, I said this the other night on after 83 weeks. WWE has been in the, it has now become a part of 
Vince McMahon's DNA. It's not just a job. It's not just a business he started. It's his life. And the fact that he wanted to go back and visit and hang out in Gorilla, at, it would shock me if he didn't do that at some point. Even if there's a sale and he's out, I imagine he's still going to come back and just hang out, see what he built. Too much ado about nothing. Hey, by the way, I want to reach out. I saw Bobby at uh, Kilo Foxtrot 5 Golf Tango X-Ray. Guess who's taking their general test tomorrow? That'd be me. All the best to you on that, my friend. Yeah. Uh, Bobby knows what I'm talking about. Everybody else is going, what the hell? <laughs> what is he talking about? Well, he knows because he interacts with you on adfreeshows.com. And adfreeshows.com is where you get to interact with people like Eric Bischoff, Arn Anderson, Tony Schiavone, Jim Ross, Matt Hardy, Kurt Angle, all these great names. And there are so many different price tiers that get you different access to all these great exclusive events. Uh, you, you've been really busy over on adfreeshows.com lately. I have a blast. I just have an absolute blast. I have so much fun that usually on a Saturday or a Sunday once or twice a month, I'll just ask Evan Polisher for give me 10 names out of the hat, just random 10 names and their phone numbers. And I'll just call people and surprise them. You know, and I have fun. I mess with them. Like I'll call them up. So, so you know, the guy I'm calling, his name is John. Phone will ring, phone will ring, phone will ring. And, of course, they don't recognize my number, right? It's a Skype number. And they'll pick up the phone. Hello. I say, John, what are you doing? <laughs> John will say, what do you mean what I'm doing? I say, I want to know what you're doing. What are you up to? John will go, who is this? And then I tell him. And then it's like funny, right? I love doing that. I don't know. I, I guess that says a lot about where I'm at in my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good thing is, Eric, because you use Impera, you've got all this extra time to focus on yourself and do things, you know, on your time. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and actually, that's one of the things that I do. You know, I've, I've been thinking about adding as a pillar is being more consistent with that and finding a way to measure that and, and promote that. But, yeah. There you go. I love it. Anything else on your mind this week before we wrap up on Strictly Business, Eric? No, a couple of questions here. Jay Joseph wants to know if I'm still using Kratom or somebody asked me if I'm still using Kratom. And yes, I do still use Kratom occasionally, not every day. But uh, I, I'm a big believer in alternative medicines. I'm, I'm not a fan of the pharmaceutical industry, and I could talk for hours about that. But, um, I, yeah, I look for alternative ways to get my nutrition and occasionally, you know, I'll use something therapeutically like Kratom. It's good for me because it helps my focus. That's why I use it. It's a, uh, and I don't have much. I do like a, a tablespoon sometimes in the morning. If I've got something I really got to focus on, um, it just helps with my focus. So yeah, still use it. Do your own research though. Don't use it because I use it. Do your own research. Talk to somebody that uses it. Make sure you get the right strain and the right dosage and all that good stuff. I'll get this different last people question. different ways. This last question in from uh, Mission Impossible Reviews who's watching us on YouTube here. Uh, because it, I asked Matt Hardy something similar to it. I'd love to actually hear your opinion on it. He says, I have a question. I need to break into two posts. I've been hearing a lot of various podcasts about AW issues, such as talent getting caught blading, referees hogging the spotlight, spots that don't make TV properly. And the common thread to me is that the camera and production people are just lacking experience. What advice would you give to AEW personnel to improve this? I would really like to hear what Eric has to say as he was executive producer for WCW. Yeah, that's... 
look, Mike Mansuri is sitting in the truck, at least to my knowledge. And there is nobody better to be sitting in that truck as a director other than Kevin Dunn as Mike Mansuri. So I don't think you've got a director issue. Now, when I was with Turner, and this is unique to Turner, and I don't know what the arrangement is over at AEW from a production perspective with regards to Turner, but if you've got Turner sports people, which I imagine is probably the case, just a guess, but if you've got Turner sports people running your handheld cameras, you may or may not have the same team of camera crew on on any given week. You know, a lot of the when in WCW, for example, our you know we had Jackie Crockett was our main handheld. We may have had one other, but for the most part, our camera operators didn't work for WCW. They worked for Turner Sports, and as Turner Sports cameramen and women, they were not familiar with the product. They're, you know, sports shooters, cameramen, women, follow the action. In wrestling, you have to anticipate the action. To get the best shots, to get what you really want, you have to anticipate it. And part of being able to anticipate that action is having a feel for it or experience. So if AEW is, are using cameramen who are unfamiliar with the product, that doesn't have anything to do with the director. It's the communication between the director and the cameraman, or the camera person, and that can sometimes become problematic when you've got a camera person who's not really experienced in shooting wrestling. Add to that, now I've seen some of the clips of some of the blading jobs, which I think were just horrible. That's a talent issue too. You don't blade right in the middle of the ring. What do you think is going to happen? If a camera's not going to pick it up, certainly people at ringside are. There is an art to that, by the way, when it's done well, and or done properly, I should say, and doing it out in the open so a camera can even possibly pick it up is on the talent. So it, or, or it can be. As much as it can be the director or a production person, a camera person, uh, there's also a talent issue involved in that problem. And you've got to kind of get all three of those elements figured out. That's, that's the, it's, it's, it's inexperience and bad communication. And from a talent perspective, sloppy talent work. Communication is, is the key there at the end of the day. I'm, I'm 100% with you. And we'll wrap with this last question here from Andrew Lynch, because I think there's a good way to bow tie our episode, Eric. This is given what you guys know about gambling and what Darren explained would you want WWE gambling to be legalized? And I'll just say this. I've been talking to some talent about this all week, too. And it just, to me, Eric, it just seems like it would be way too messy all the way around. And it would stifle creativity from not just creative writing, but also from the talent in the ring. And sometimes you have finishes that you do purposely to set up what's to come next. And if you had gambling involved, stuff like that would be really hard to do. Yeah, I don't feel strongly one way or the other. Uh, you know, there, if I had to pick a direction that I would lean in, I would lean in pursuing it. Only because it forces you to think differently about the way you do things. And sometimes being locked in a room, trying to figure out what you have to do to achieve a very unique goal, forces you to look at your business from a different angle. 
And every once in a while, you find gold. Every once in a while, while you're trying to accomplish one thing, you realize that you can achieve something that you didn't even anticipate by rethinking. I almost said reimagining, but I hate that term. I want to smack people upside the head when I hear them use that term. It's just overused to death. And anytime someone comes up to me and goes, I got this new job. I'm reimagining the way we do this. Like, get the fuck out of here. I ain't talking to you. Got no time for you, phony some bitch. But it's true, though, that thinking through things sometimes reveal unique opportunities. And look, I, I think that the wrestling industry has evolved amazingly. It's been on the cutting edge of televisions since the beginning of syndicated and network television. It's been on the cutting edge of cable television since cable television. It's been on the cutting edge of pay-per-view when pay-per-view was new. It's now on the cutting edge of streaming and digital. So wrestling has always evolved with the opportunities that it's provided with. And if gaming and gambling can become a part of that next frontier, I think rethinking and retooling the process may reveal nuggets of unintended good consequences but maybe not we'll find out but i'm not afraid of it i don't think it'll hurt the business fascinating stuff there from eric bischoff guys make sure you're subscribed 83weeks.com uh, 83 weeks on youtube that's where you're going to get strictly business every single week you got on friday this week we don't normally try to hit for thursdays but you get it in that wheelhouse and you get every episode of 83 weeks as well adfreeshows.com that's where you get access to all that bonus content plus who knows eric bischoff may just call you out of boredom to shoot the shit sometimes it seems like that's something that happens every now and then uh but eric this has been a lot of fun thank you again to darren Ravel for hopping on with us here on strictly business anything else you want to add my friend i think we covered it <laughs> ladies and gentlemen this has been strictly business with eric bischoff we'll see you next time John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Tylus and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? Can you pay me more? Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.